we have a lot of people choosing a kiwi saver just based on past year returns saying hey this kiwi saver fund has done amazingly well in the last year all my friends are talking about it i should go there performance chasing essentially isn't a really good idea because what's done really well in the last year most probably will revert to the mean and underperform next year so it's about putting a lot more research into selection of your kiwi saver provider and that's what companies like national capital do so we're here with clive from national capital i gotta act like hey, i haven't met you before yeah how you going mate all good it's the one tell, tell us about your covid journey <laughs> covid well i was guess it easy uh, or uh i guess i i was one of the lucky ones i suppose yeah the ability to kind of do most of what i do f- in front of a computer from home allowed me to kind of i guess made my covid journey much easier than a lot of the other people out there for whom it was be for for whom it was way more difficult i suppose mm. yeah yeah i was in my element i had my um the computer in the kitchen to hold myself accountable <laughs> no one cared but i was just like there and anytime i felt like the seat was empty i, was, I just felt like a loser like i was like, i'd let the team down and no one cared no one ever yeah, actually like yeah. oh, right why aren't you working i was like oh. um well i think any anytime we're kicking into this i think like the back end story and you've had um quite an interesting story you've already reached your own level of success and started your own business again a new one yeah um but yeah let's let's go back to young clive where, where are you born were you born from well i was born in mumbai india good man and this was a long long time back oh, yeah and i guess i was always very interested in computers so i was mm. i was a pretty nerdy kid were there computers when, like, were there computers you could play with in Mumbai when yeah, you were younger? Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess my first computer... Because just that's what I'm saying. Yeah. My, my first computer was one that my mum bought home from work. So it was her office laptop. It was, like, this thick. <laughs> yeah. And then it had, like, DOS on it and all. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I started playing on that and I was addicted for life what'd you do on it like what is it like what what was on those computers then was it most school? probably there would have just been a word processing software one of the really old ones so i might have just been <laughs> typing stuff on it but yeah uh after that i got into a little bit of programming uh, using one of the early programming languages called basic hmm. so i used that and i made my own cockroach game Cockroach ba- game. Yeah, where you basically put, it's sort of like a horse racing game, but there were cockroaches <laughs> racing, so you could bet on the cockroach you thought would win, and if you won, then it would kind of, yeah, give you some money. How, how does one come to the, like, what was the, the design process? You know, you're sitting at home, you, you learn a bit of basic code, and then you're like, oh, you know what, I'm going to, like, what, what were the different ideas before you went, okay, cockroaches? Well, I suppose, interestingly enough, I have a big phobia of cockroaches. Uh. Yeah. So, potentially, that could have been, that was part of my way of processing that phobia. Make it into a game. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. I guess that that explains the cockroaches. And the fact that I kind of created a software in a game, which is, I guess, reflective of the age and just playing around and the first thing... I guess when you're young and you want to create would mm. be a game. Was it ever an escape as well? You know, like like maybe people at school were mean, so at least with your, your cockroach game and like your coding, <laughs> like you could control the outcome. Like was it all like, or were you just perfectly accepted and everything was a streamlined process in your life? Or No, I guess, I guess uh, it could have been. So another thing about me is that when I was young and even now, I stammer a bit. Mm. So I guess uh, 
talking to a computer was much easier for me than talking to people mm. and i guess that kind of fueled my early attraction to computers too there was there a moment like you're standing up in school i didn't tell we we're going to talk like this but you're standing up in school and you had to do a speech and you couldn't get it out and you're stuttering and you're freaking out and then like people laughed or was there any like no 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 luckily for me i didn't i didn't really have any moments like that huh what, what do you know what it causes it or just it is what it is it's what it is i guess huh. yeah well then, it's distinctly Clive now. It's your, it's your, exactly. it's your brand. Exactly. <laughs> cool. All right. So you're in Mumbai, in India. Yeah. And you found this computer, and you made cockroach games, and then what? Definitely. You stayed there and or then what yeah, and and then in a few years, I was getting a computer engineering degree. In Mumbai, and then I was kind of. This was just around the time when it wasn't. Just pre two thousand. So I started an internet consultancy there. <laughs> and kind of doing a little bit of internet marketing and helping companies with that and that re- and that took off and that was basically my first business that was really successful how old were you when you were oh this was uh this was i was i kind of i launched it when i was 18 <laughs> and continued working on it for a few years did your parents think you're a failure were they like what are you doing with your life you should be studying did you get oh, no, actually mad? my my first domain name I borrowed money from my mum to buy it. So they were definitely supportive of the entire process. What was the domain name? I think or it was how much was it? Uh, I think back back in the day you had to pay thirty nine dollars a year for a domain name. And you had to send a check off to a company in the States. <laughs> so it was a very, very long process. <laughs> wow. Oh, so you, you you send your thirty nine dollar check, and then by the time it gets there, then you don't have the rights to the domain because someone else's check got there first. <laughs> Potentially, yeah. Wow. So what what's what was it like? Because I, I see sort of technology now around blockchain and Bitcoin and you know um, NFTs, sort of akin to that internet moment where everyone's getting all g'd up about this technology, thinking yeah. they're going to make a whole lot of money. What what was it actually like that culture and like that? Did you see that sort of investment mindset where everyone was just so excited about the internet, or and they didn't believe it? And oh, like, definitely, we're talking, we're talking uh, pre two thousand year. I'm very close to that. We're talking dot com bubble. Mm. So there were definitely people very excited about the potential of the internet, and back then it was more about the internet just re- replacing what we would do in real life. So yeah, was. I guess a lot of the a lot of the companies back then were very similar to the companies now. They just weren't successful because they didn't have the technology, etc., that we had now. Mm. And sh- what, what, like, what was it actually like so to actually internet market back then? W- what would you even do? So you got the site. There's not many people on the internet. You got to convince these business owners, hey, this isn't just some you know magic box like the yeah. TV was when it first came out. Like it could actually help your business. What was that yeah. like? It was kind of like, I suppose internet marketing back then was quite similar to what we've got now, huh. other than social media. So there was a lot of search engine optimization, search engine marketing. Hmm. Only back then, there were a lot of search engines, not just Google. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of like, yeah, it was folks there. We're talking to people again. Yeah, it It was difficult back then trying to convince people that, or you should be marketing on the internet because a lot, a lot of people did not even have websites. So I guess internet marketing back then also had an element of website design and actually helping people to get onto the internet hmm. for 
the first time. And I, I guess in those moments as well, like any new technology, any new innovation has the greatest opportunity for anyone willing to do it, but the greatest resistance. Exactly. Because it's such a foreign concept. Yeah, I mean, it's out the gate. So, what, so you, okay, you're 18, you get your parents to send the check off to USA, and then you're like, okay, I'm off, I'm doing this business. And so what was that like? Did you have staff? Did you, Was it just you? Yeah, no, so, you uh, band? It was just me to start off with. And then I guess as I got busier, it organically grew from there, and I started hiring staff to help me with this and that. And that ultimately grew into a very successful, successful company then yeah and then you just sold it or like uh so i'm i'm still a shareholder of that company but then that brings us to about 14 years back when i decided that yep my time in india was done and i wanted to explore the rest of the world and that's when new zealand comes in so Mm. i guess a lot of people ask me how do i decide new zealand and so I suppose you would have you would have asked me the same thing. Yeah, so sure. I'll just I'll just preempt that that <laughs> question. But my answer on, on I pretty much picked New Zealand off a map. The only thing I knew about New Zealand before I came here was its cricket team, and someone telling me there were more sheep in New Zealand than people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm coming. See, yeah. you fit in. That's you know we have a great affinity with sheep. Is, is that why you just had better dating options? <laughs> no, 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 I won't get in trouble. So yeah, you came here 14 years ago, and then what? You got a job, just chill because you're yeah. balling because you're successful. No, so company. so I came here, I came here, and I kind of did a did a year of education to basically again just get my get myself, I guess, really into New Zealand culture. That's the best way to do it when you're new to a country. So I did that, and then I got a job, got my residency here, got my citizenship. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I restarted my business here, but then a few years, a few years into it, kind of like I was the only New Zealand employee of that business, and I wanted to kind of look at look at other things that I wanted to do, and it took me back to when I first came to New Zealand. I actually reached out to get financial advice, but what I found out at that stage was a lot of people out there are. Uh, offering financial advice at least the ones i reached ultimately were just people trying to sell me property now mm. in hindsight maybe i should have just bought a bunch of property <laughs> back then and it would all, all all been fine but the, but it wasn't real financial advice and since then i figured out that there are kind of that there seem to be two type two main, main types of financial advisors one really good financial advisors but unfortunately they can only help people who've already got a substantial sum of money that they need advice on. Mm-hmm. And then there's the financial advice of the rest of us who unfortunately don't give that good financial advice. So that got me that got me to thinking. And I wanted to kind of like, I, I wanted to use my skills and technology and my passion for finance and investing that I al- already had and bring them together to kind of create something that a sort of service that could provide financial advice for the rest of us. And so National Capital was born from there. So National Capital hopefully is the kind of financial advice service that can provide really good, high-quality financial advice, the kind of, that you provide, Ryan, to oh, the rest it. of us. He doesn't know. He, I just told him I'd give good financial advice, <laughs> but thank you. Well, So when you, you start building, you're like, okay, there's this unmet need, which I agree. 
most advisors, you know, they have to have help with a lump sum because we, we live off the ongoing fee. Yep. So if you've got $1,000 invested, 1% of that doesn't go far. So it's a fine line and people need that help and support. And then you've got the free budgeting agencies where, you know, they're, they're subsidized by the government and they do their best and, you know, there's some value to it. But it's it's hard to get the level of advice that you want. So what was it like when you, you're like, okay, here's an issue. Now I'm going to build it. We're like, oh, my God, like, how am I going to do this? Like, what, what's the compliance? Like, I like the nitty gritty stuff, you know, like, no, it's right. like sunshine, national capital, change the world. You know what I mean? What, what was it like? You're like, okay, I'm going to get a crack. Yeah. It was kind of like, uh, luckily for me, uh, it was the same time as the government was just putting out the digital advice exemption. So the, the digital the digital advice exemption, what we refer to, I guess, as a robo-advice license, allowed us to give financial advice using computers. Whereas prior to, the, to that, the legal position was financial advice can only be given by a real person. So this changed things completely, which allowed us to actually automate parts, if not all of, if not all aspects of financial advice now uh so sorry but coming coming back to your question initially it was just about me kind of saying that hey i know how to program so i don't i jump in i'll build a website i'll i'll do everything so i kind of started doing everything myself i reached out the only the only place i suppose i right at the start i went out and i got external advice was in compliance because i think that's one of the big stumbling blocks mm-hmm. for anyone who wants to get into this industry it's a very compliance heavy just sad really important industry i guess for me i think i think it it is very important so it took me about 7 months to get the digital advice exemption so that's a very long time to get a, a license but what that allowed me to do and kind of in talking with pfma it allowed me to build my business in a very good way so almost like uh, fulfilling all the all the requirements of the regulation actually ended up me actually ended up in me building a very very good business. So I actually see compliance not as a problem to solve, but actually an opportunity for you to tick all the right boxes. So you've got you've got organizations like the FMA who are pretty much act, acting as free consultants for you, helping you build your but business. Jeez, uh, it's starting to feel like you're, you know, you're an affiliate for FMA. Just, <laughs> you know, every time I call them, they're like, I can't help you because, you know, there's illegal uh, repercussions for us if I give you advice. So if you're getting this free consultation, you got to tell me how to do it. I love that they're there, that it's useful that they're helping. But I do agree, like, if you get a baseline framework on how to build your business and there's guidelines and they've used, you know, the historic sort of interactions financial advice has had with clients, you know, there, there's value to it. I'm not, yeah. you know, running away yeah. from it. It's just, that just wasn't my experience, but that's okay. You know, I'm happy for you. Well, um, so what, what's that actually like the compliant, like what does a digital advice platform actually have to think about or do and how's it different? And I think at, at its core, there are two, two very important things to, to think about. And one of them, of course, is the actual security of user data, mm. because now we're talking about everything being on saved on some sort of cloud service. So it's making sure that yeah, we've got, we've really thought about how we're gonna keep our users' data safe. We can't just kind of 
put it on a paper and lock it in a safe in an office anymore where we've got to think about other things so it's kind of proving to the regulator that we've thought about all of that and we've actually put into place uh put into place whatever is required to keep our users data safe and the second thing is ensuring that how can we make sure that the system that we've put in place which is right now a combination of technology and live advisors how can we make sure that that system is giving good advice because prior to digital advice the onus to give good advice was on the advisor so if you gave bad advice that was on you but now it's uh, with the new regime in place it's slightly different the onus is not exclusively on the advisor but on the entire entity and that entity includes the live advisor the company the technology everything so how do we make sure who's who's ultimately responsible so the person ultimately responsible for all, all of that is me mm. so i've got to make sure that the technology and all the associated elements with it behave in a way that ultimately give our clients good advice the same kind of advice that they would expect from someone again just using you oh, as an example mate. like like uh, you mate you're just endorsing everything on this podcast <laughs> so thank you so what, what would be what would be uh, the important key components of good digital advice i guess it would be very similar to components of good advice from a normal advisor yeah. uh live advisor making sure that you really understood the client's needs making sure that the advice is fit for purpose for that client what what we give is personalized advice so our advice is not just hey if you're young go into a growth kiwi saver fund if you're old go into a conservative kiwi saver fund no it's personalized to you it's personalized to your goal your particular financial situation at that time your 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 capacity and your your tolerance for market volatility which is the ups and downs of the market so it's making sure that yeah the advice is fit for purpose for you as an individual and also ensuring that we that you actually understand the advice so when you as a client take a final decision you're taking taking that as an educated consumer not not just because i told you so mm. and running from all of that i think kind of lost my chain of thought here That's but right. there, just put pressure on your secret <laughs> there was there was in in another uh i suppose one additional aspect of of digital advice is also in, ensuring that the person we're giving digital advice to is digital advice appropriate for that person or not hmm. so we need to we need to also ensure that hey if we believe Ryan you're not the right person to get digital advice you should actually be speaking to uh, a live financial advisor we need systems and processes in place to kind of like make sure that we recognize that hmm. and let you know that how do you differentiate that do you do like a competency quiz if they get 80 out of 100 you like no nah, it's a, uh what 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 we're doing right now is more of it depends on the complexity of of a client oh, okay okay so uh, once again if you if you're a 26 year old or 
let me say, if you're a 31-year-old who's just bought his first home and now is just saving for retirement, which is another 30 years, and your focus is just, I just need to save as much as I can, that's quite a, that's quite a simple situation. If you're someone who has different sources of income, including, say, government grants, etc., and you're already retired, and you really need to be kind of thinking about how you invest your money so that uh, potentially any benefits that you receive from the government are not affected, etc. That's potentially something that our algorithm and our advice can't handle right now. So that's when rather than us just kind of like being a one-size-fits-all, that's when we step away and we say like, hey, you know what, we we cannot help you, but, but here are some resources here's someone else who could potentially help you so you're like cyborg essentially you know you know when um where the the software that they created around um chess and um, it would beat a lot of um human players yeah but then the guy combined it exactly the and the human exactly so uh that's that's exactly what national capital is right now we call ourselves a hybrid advisor so we're trying to use like the best of both worlds mm. we're trying to use technology and real people in order to give the best advice that we that we can as an as an example so when i first got into the financial advice industry i started off as a power planner a power oh, planner you pull yeah <laughs> so a power planner for those who don't know what they do is someone who can actually creates the entire plan for the uh, it's basically the back end work so once a financial advisor has had a chat with a client the financial advisor will make some notes make some advice and then the power planner needs to put it all into a format that would be understandable by the client do some more research etc etc so back then my job took me on an average of about 4 hours to basically formulate that advice and put it into documentation that was both compliant and understandable by the client. At National Capital, we've got that down to 0.8 seconds. You, yeah, I need some of that. <laughs> but the the reason the reason why I'm kind of like yeah, bragging about <laughs> about that is to just amplify the fact that that is the reason now that National Capital can go out there and help clients with $10,000 in their KiwiSaver account, as opposed to why a normal financial advisor would not be able to, to, to help them. It's not that all financial advisors out there don't want to help people. It's just they don't have the technology and the resources to be able to help people that, that we can we can help. Yeah, I mean, that's always my thing is like, I'm driven by solving the problem and you know you need to reach a certain, if you reach scale, then you need efficiencies and the current process is very inefficient. They do the handwritten notes, you type it up, you know, you spend as maybe three, four hours doing what it takes to pull it out and then you go see them again and you go through it and then maybe, maybe actually you didn't click the information perfectly correctly and you might <laughs> have to do it again. And Exactly. Hmm. So you, I think I remember you were saying that you, you had some ideas around KiwiSaver that might be quite useful because that's your number one offering at the moment. National Capital helps people that, you know, can't necessarily get access to advisors had the cyborg hybrid approach. I'm going to call yeah. it cyborg. Um, what what would be your top tips around KiwiSaver? As I just change the camera over, just roll, keep talking. Yeah. Well, I suppose 
I think most importantly, it's a lot of people are approaching KiwiSaver from either like, oh my God, this is too complicated for me, so I'm not going to do anything about it. Or KiwiSaver is really simple, so I'll just Or DIY. it's a scam. That's a common. The third one is a scam. I get a lot of that <laughs> there you on, <laughs> on social media. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's a scam. <laughs> but yeah, carry on. But so I think for us, the main thing what we're trying to do out there is show that KiwiSaver is nothing but another investment. So it's neither very complicated no, it is something that you could potentially that you potentially would DIY because ultimately we're talking about your retirement savings here. Yeah. Kiwi Saver is one of the it's it's soon getting to be one of Kiwi's largest savings and investments outside our homes. So it's something that we really need to give importance to. Now, Kiwi Saver also a lot of people kind of see see it as a very. Uh, I suppose people see Kiwi Saver and their Kiwi Saver choices as very rigid. That oh, I should either be in a growth fund or I should be in a conservative fund. But for for example, for our clients who are like close to retirement but still need growth, you can do things in Kiwi Saver. Like you can you can actually create an investment strategy inside Kiwi Saver that gives you growth but also protects a portion of your money from short term. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah. volatility so that you can actually go go ahead and access that money when you are 65 or if you need to buy a first home etc so it's kind of putting strategies like that in place that allow people to get a lot more from their kiwi saver account by even kind of you don't really have to even change your provider it's kind of just putting a better strategy a better kiwi saver strategy in place that'll give you better returns and then again, it's we have a lot of people choosing a Kiwi Saver provider, be their bank or someone else, just based on potentially past year returns. Saying, "Hey, this Kiwi Saver fund has done amazingly well in the last year. All my friends are talking about it. I should go there." Performance chasing essentially isn't a really good idea because what what's done really well in the last year most probably will revert to the mean. And underperform next year so it's about putting a lot more research into selection of your kiwi saver provider and that's what companies like national capital do yeah nice no, fair i mean it's really like as you say today's winners tomorrow's loser like it's the median um it's interesting so essentially what you're describing there with the kiwi saver you can do it bespoke you know you can do a customized yeah. asset allocation so you're effectively saying there's probably a certain portion to cash and bonds, probably more likely bonds that are going to be used as income. And it's getting to the point where I was talking to a lady recently and you can just like um, hit up your KiwiSaver provider. It used to be really hard when you turn 65 to get the money out, take all these boxes, really frustrating. But now you just tick a box fortnightly. Exactly, exactly. And so we're seeing, we're seeing more and more people using KiwiSaver as a retirement savings. And what I mean by that is not just a savings for retirement, but a way to manage their cash flow and investments after 65 too. Mm. So KiwiSaver does not end at 65. In fact, investing, I, I, I think this is something that a lot of uh, clients that we speak to really say they found 
valuable is the thought that your investing journey doesn't end at 65 because there's there's a lot of kind of there there is a lot of generic advice out there that says as the closer you get to 65 the more conservative you need to be that could pretty much be wrong yeah because you don't you don't withdraw all your investments at 65 and then put them under your bed and start sp- spending them no you've got another 20 25 30 years left in retirement where your money still needs to work for, for you mm. and 25 years is a very long investment horizon and that takes me back to my initial point about kiwi saver being an investment as it is it's not something that you diy it's something that you actually should be putting some some part into and potentially getting some expert advice on i i think it's the the most important investment you ever make um really you know you get the three percent contribution which you know it, it's you put in the thing if you could walk down the street i was saying the other podcast you walk down the street and you say hey if i give you a grand can you give me a grand i uh, can you give me two grand and they're like <laughs> oh yeah cool can you imagine how successful you would become if they say every week just did that and effectively three percent of the income you put in is being matched by your um employer and then also the government's putting in $521 for the first grand that you put in give or take you know extra $43 yeah. $1042.86 if you want to <laughs> oh there you go <laughs> rough um and yeah it's a, a single-handedly the most important investment and most people either don't even look at it or in a default fund provider and when they get it at 65 spend it like lotto just cash yeah. it out that's what yeah. i see not not with our clients fortunately but it, i anecdotally um yeah. it's scary so how how does someone go about becoming more mindful of their kiwi service so you talked about research they could go to national capital but how, what do they even look for in a kiwi server provider like how do you dif- differentiate if not performance you know i suppose and that's where i guess that's where the complexity comes now i could say hey go to your kiwi server providers websites research them read the pds read product disclosure statement product disclosure statement sorry read the statement of investment purpose that's that's a very long document that explains to you exactly how your kiwi saver provider makes decisions on where and how to invest your money mm. but i'll say for most people those documents are gibberish are gibberish yeah <laughs> well they're not but it's like i could be like when i if i'm buying if if i'm buying a house i could go to i could go down to the council and i could download all the reports etc <laughs> and a building report etc and, and i could research. read that and i would get some knowledge out of it yeah. but i would take all those documents and i would a give it to my lawyer and b i would i would give them to my builder because i know they can make a lot more sense out of it and they can pick things from there that i would have missed so it's the same thing i guess with kiwi saver research also it's kind of making sure that the research has been done by people who have both the expertise and the time to actually go through and really read and understand those documents from all of the different kiwi saver providers mm. so i think again and this goes against the normal grain of what we're being told right now is that hey go out there do your own do you, do your own kiwi saver research etc i don't think most of us actually have the time and the capacity to do our own kiwi saver research to the level at which i believe it should be done 
Like it's very easy to go out there and see what the past returns were, what the fees are, how ESG my KiwiSaver mm. provider is. But all you're going, but most most people get all of that from the marketing material provided by the KiwiSaver providers themselves. So I believe that's just not enough. Mm. Well, on that, like, and just anyone listening, ESG environmental social governance is basically. I think it's not there. Yet. I think it makes people feel good without necessarily making a meaningful change. But you know, it's the the concept of you know having less impact on the environment, being more mindful socially, and having you know good governance, ticking the diversity box. Yeah. Um, but where would they go? Okay, so I don't want to go to the council to download all these reports and read it. Like, who would you say provide good information that you know you 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 could develop your understanding. I know you've got an ebook. I know you pump yeah. out a whole lot of blogs and stuff, but this is always good to talk about things that people don't expect you to yeah. hype up some other people. Yeah. So where would you learn instead of having to do all the research and reading, you know, yeah. the individual? So I guess a good start is the government's website uh, on sorted.co.nz. Oh, yeah. yeah. They do give you some basic information about KiwiSaver and what KiwiSaver as a scheme is. Mm. They also will give you access to all the documentation that you need to read on every KiwiSaver provider. They've got enough information on past returns, on fees, but basically past returns and, and fees <laughs> and asset allocation. That's, and uh, service is the other criteria. Yeah. But so the way, the way Sorted measures service is just through a checklist is they've, they've got a set of sort of services that they believe uh, providers should have. <laughs> so providers then go and say like, yep, I've got this, I don't have this, I don't have this. And service is rated as per that. So the service rating on so sorted, and I don't know if it's still on there or not, oh, but yeah. at, at least when, when it was, it isn't reflective of the quality of service that a provider is giving you it's more the quantity of service that a provider is giving so do they have an app or don't they have an app <laughs> stuff like stuff wow like that. okay so I'm, I'm gonna get a checklist put on my website if i ever become a provider and i just say i do this and provide it but it's garbage and i'll get like 95 percent. well it, <laughs> technically it can't be it can't be garbage because oh, okay. the okay. providers are bound by certain regulations and okay polished laws yeah but it in 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 a sense have you seen some of those apps come on (laughs) but in in a sense i guess the main point there is that if a provider has got a 95 percent service rating it's not because people have raved about how great service they Mm. give it's just they've got they fulfill 95 percent of the conditions that sort of think a provider should have fair so service yeah go on so your, your, so your whole model, like my understanding is someone comes in, um, you know, you got all the research, the back end, takes on a personalized journey that takes 0.8 of a second to produce you piece of... Anyways, I won't swear in it. Well, I do swear in it, but just not in front of you. you know? uh, how, what's, how's the work, how does it work? Why, you know, why is this cyborg trying to make, you know, give me advice? Where do they get their money? You know, they're not charging me. There must be a scam. No. That's, yeah, that's yeah, kind yeah. Of people and most probably, yes. <laughs> no. So like, yeah... <laughs> We kind of like we do. We do have people who come onto the website and they're like, "Oh, so so you're saying you're gonna you're gonna give me really good financial advice, 
and you're not going to charge me anything. Yeah. It's too good to be true. Yeah. It's most yeah. probably a scam. Charge them a dollar so you, yeah. you don't have that problem anymore. You know, if you're trying to get like your... I'll let you finish, sorry. But if you ever like... If you like, uh, if you get a drawer and you leave it outside and you put free, no one will take it. But if you put a hundred dollars, it'll be gone by tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, true. So, <laughs> what we do is so the way I'd like to explain that to the way we explain it to all our clients, and I like to explain it to all our listeners that you've been paying our fees ever since you've been in a Kiwi Saver account because we because you're already paying your Kiwi Saver provider fees and we believe part of that fees is towards giving like part of a service a kiwi saver provider should provide their clients is financial advice so you've already been kind of being paying for financial advice ever since you've been in a kiwi saver scheme you've just not been been getting it so what we've done is we've got arrangements with a whole bunch of providers where we're giving their clients or we're giving clients advice on not their behalf but we're giving we're giving clients advice but we're being paid by the kiwi saver providers so we've got certain kiwi saver providers who accept that yeah they should be giving giving clients advice so they're very happy to share the fees that they receive with us in order to give clients advice so we're essentially being funded by the kiwi saver providers but ultimately the kiwi saver providers are being funded by regular kiwis who've got kiwi saver accounts yeah. so so ultimately you are still paying for the advice you've always been paying for the advice now you've got an opportunity to no, actually get, get it, it. <laughs> oh yeah. listen here you little kiwi saver providers you ain't no. so essentially they're not paying anything extra no. Um, you're getting paid out of what they would have paid anyways, but now you've correct. got someone that helps you. Yeah, correct. All right, got it. it sounded yeah, um, yeah. It, it, it the the challenge. I'm going to pretend I'm in Shark Tank right now. Okay. You know, when they present it and they're like, "Hey, I've got this patent. I've got this new idea." And then who's the bald one? What's his name? Um, Kevin Kevin Leary was Mister Wonderful. No idea. Well, Mister <laughs> Shark Tank's like this investment. Thing. I know, I know, oh, I know, but I don't know the names of everyone on there. Okay, well, Mister Wonderful, he'd be like, "Oh, that's that's a great idea that you've got. Looks like you've got sales. You've got a successful process, business compliance. What stops the big people just coming and just stuffing you up? Because because your point of difference is actually the very thing they need to do because they have scale." They have the ability to inject a whole lot of capital and then they can streamline that so it's more cost effective and they're ticking the box because part of the important things with being a default provider is that you need to be seen to trying to get them out of the default and providing advice. Yeah. So what, what yeah. protects you from that? Or is that the goal? You just No, I suppose the main the main difference between the service a large KV saver provider who might come up with their own robo-advice offering and us is the fact that we're independent. A Kiwi Saver provider ultimately will only give you advice around its own products. Mm. So it could say that, hey, you should go in a conservative fund or a growth fund, as long as that conservative growth fund is one of us. Yeah. Whereas National Capital is independent. So we not only give you financial advice, but we're not kind of aligned to any single provider. So we are out there doing research on all of them and then letting you know which one's you should be with now let me kind of like uh 
right now the when when i do say all of them that's something that we are aiming to reach right now we cover about 60% of the market cuz some of them just probably couldn't even plug in very well cuz they got legacy technology from 1920 no comment you, you want to make no friends comment. with them exactly <laughs> <laughs> even I, was, I heard that um banks a lot of the banks still use co- cobalt coding I think, and it's like 346 different characters. That's okay. really inefficient, and they're just like Whoa. sticking it out. But that's that's a story for another day. Okay, so the, the challenge you have is you, you've got this independence and trust, and you position your brand in such a way that you know, you've know you seen as this independent um, organization that adds values to Kiwis. The challenge is, like you said before, is once you've researched and got the right provider, then why would you change unless they suddenly become an issue? So you got this, the, your point of difference is your independence. But that's going to be a real challenge is because if they have the offering and the personalized service, then they can still deliver the outcome. The only thing would really be brand and perception. That would be your now, distinction. I suppose what, what, what we're doing and one of the, one of the major kind of, I suppose, benefits of being a national capital client is the annual reviews and the ongoing the ongoing mm. research. So just because a Kiwi Saver provider is suitable for you or a good one today, doesn't mean that's going to be the case mm. in f- f- five years' time. Milford is a is is an amazing provider, but if tomorrow Milford decides that actually I think Fisher Funds is better, Milford is not going to give you a call and say, "Hey, I think you should move to Fisher Funds." Your national capital advisor will. And that that does become important is like the underlying investment is sound as long as it's run effectively. Most of the risk is really just volatility and it going up and down. But there are providers that are just not good. Um, I'll I'll label a specific fund and get sued. But and I'll explain why I think that from my subjective opinion is the disruption fund from uh, Nico. So essentially, it's you know a a basket of individual companies yep um less than 100 probably around 30 and so and it's run by arc um arc is the underlying fund manager that yep. does it and and the feeling that you get is like oh they had these massive returns they did really well but the underlying investment doesn't tick the diversification box doesn't have an offering for cash bonds property and shares and then if people invest in that chasing the returns and then you know that there's a market correction and a number of those equities go to zero or go down and actually crystallize a loss, then that changes public perception around KiwiSaver. Yeah. So I, I think that is a good point that you're assessing if the provider is still able to deliver on what they want. But then the question becomes, how do you assess that? Because it sounds like you've got a digital advice offering that you're going through. How do you go about assessing providers if they're yeah. still good or bad? So uh, along... Uh and we'll come to that Nico arc front after I answer the, the <laughs> this. But along with our, al- along with our digital front end, which is consumer facing, we also have an investment research team in the back end that actually goes out there and and talks with 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 KiwiSaver providers and does the research. So we've got real people back back there with collectively hundreds of years of investment experience and investment research experience who are doing all that research on our clients' behalf. Mm. So rather than every 
client of ours reading through PDSs and cypos of what the 30 plus providers that are out there we've got someone we've 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 got a team that is doing all of that on their behalf okay cool so that's the way we stay abreast and really understand what's going on with every provider mm. now coming back to the to the Nico Arc fund which which I suppose you're saying again the mindset is there is no bad fund a good fund it's just fun that is suitable for a certain strategy and suitable for certain people. So potentially, yes, you wouldn't. Someone for whom KiwiSaver is their main investment wouldn't put all their money into the Nico Arc Fund because, as you said, it's not diversified. But it it isn't meant to be a diversified fund. But the Nico Arc Fund could be part of a strategy where someone actually is putting bulk of their money to diversified funds. But they want some exposure to these real high growth, high risk, high return companies that could either make them or that that could either make or break. But but if you kind of like put just ten percent of your of your investment into the Nico Arc fund, that could actually be part of a good strategy for the, for a particular person who needs that. <laughs> okay, not fair if they're not going all in on it. Yeah. What, what would um. Can, can you go different providers? Can you go 50% this, 10% that? Because it sounds like I what I can do, and if you've got some magic where you can do something separate, is um, allocate to different funds within a provider. Yeah. Okay, same thing. Damn. Yeah. No, no, no. So the answer to that is yes and no. Hmm. So no, on the face of it, no, you cannot uh, split your money between, say, a Milford and a Fisher or a Generator and a Simplicity. But there are a few new kiwi saver providers come out now that are more like platforms uh kiwi rep i think yeah Consilium. and they've and they've basically got uh, even the invest now kiwi saver scheme so they've got funds from different providers on their platform so again mm-hmm. they might not have the entire range of of kiwi saver funds but if you really wanted to kind of split your money between different providers that's the way to go mm. so you would go in there and potentially the investor would have both the milford funds and a fund from anz so you could split your money yeah. through them I, it gets a little bit more complicated though yeah i think i'm over parenting here i worry because of the australia is the model where you can self-manage your um super and i've seen it consistently self-managed to zero not to say people are in, um, incapable of doing yeah. it one percent of them are, are amazing at it yeah um, but then, you know, you have this, you have a bit of mix, a bit of that. Maybe you're paying administrative costs across all of them. So, you know, that's going in a small amount. Um, and then you get the illusion of diversification, what not necessarily the benefit. Like if yeah. you can understand a provider and how they're working and that they're one of the better ones, there's no real need to go across the board. The, how do you, the challenge, I wonder, so, okay, you get the, someone comes in, they're like, yo, fill out this, blah, 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 do my point eight second plan. So I haven't moved on from that. And uh, they pump out this advice and it's good advice and they get a feel for what they should do in the next step. How does it not lead to only three providers being recommended? You know, like you've sort of decided a provider is really good. Is there some deviation or the 60% providers, 59% kinda, are ignored? It, it kind of, again, this is what, one of those yes and no answers. It kind of does lead a lot to like if we've, if I've decided that, hey, provider A is really, really good, then 
it most probably is really really good for the bulk of our clients mm. but what we also allow clients to do is select certain personal preferences so oh, yeah. a client mm. might want to be uh, might be really focused on like you know i want low fees or i really want a provider who is completely focused on ethical investing or potentially i want a provider who is a new zealand based provider because i don't like the big banks whereas others might be actually i want a big bank so we take those considerations into play too and gonna give a user a really personalized recommendation based on what your personal priorities also are yeah I, I don't envy you eh? i don't I, like how can you build the infrastructure that just sounds like a headache so let's say they go down the esg fund does that mean they get categorized to someone that's or does it do you revisit like the annual review is new questions because the thing is like you got esg categorization and then you've only got them limited to these you know yeah. ones that now, tick- so the annual review essentially gives all clients an opportunity to basically re-answer all those questions so we kind of we tell them hey, last year you said esg was your number one priority is it still the same or has it changed so you as a client could change that hmm. and then the recommendation would be would would change based on that yeah there's no one really doing that yeah. it, it's impressive and we also like we along with that the back the background research that we're doing on every kiwi saver on the kiwi saver providers that we work with is ongoing too so just because someone says hey i'm an esg fund or just because they've got socially responsible in the name of their fund doesn't automatically mean we take them as an esg provider we're doing our own research also actually no i could think of a provider that has that in their name <laughs> uh so okay let, then what how do you protect against churn so let's say you got someone and i'm just grilling you are you poor bugger Someone comes in, they go through, they had the categories, the annual review, and then each new review pumps out a new provider, and then they're changing and crystallizing. It doesn't necessarily need to. Okay. How do so, you stop it doing that, or do you just... We don't. I can... Ultimately, it depends on the on a client. So as a client, if you change your priorities every year, then there will be... Again... the ultimate decision is of the client so we'll say that you know your priorities have changed so here's our new recommendation but your old recommendation still stays and you, so it's up to you to kind of then decide whether you want to move or not also most people's situations and personal preferences really don't change year on year on year if you're a 26 year old today you're not going to be a 45 year old tomorrow So most of the times other than some minor tweaks mm. the recommendation will remain the same. Yeah. It just depends like as you get closer to your goal either it being a first home or retirement that's when things start changing a bit for faster and that's when you really need to kind of make sure that you're staying on top of your investments. Fair. Okay. part of our advice as i said like what what we are trying to do is give financial advice not just tell you which kiwi saver fund you should be in so part of our advice also kind of shows the client how close or far they are from their from their goal and gives them gives them calculations etc based on which they can decide that hey if if i invest for 
If I contribute 4% to my KiwiSaver fund, here's where I'm going to reach. If I contribute 8%, here's where I'm going to reach. So in those annual reviews that we do, we basically, oh, we've, we, we've taken information on, on like what you've got currently in your KiwiSaver, what the growth over the last year has been. And we can give them a picture, an annual snapshot of where they are in their journey towards achieving the goal that they have outlined. Hmm. Just on that, do, the, do you have like a, um, a set return irrespective or is, is it based on a star? I've got to change the camera over and we'll wrap it up soon, but yeah. I think it's about to run out. So I'm just going to push it again. But yeah, answer that question. Now, we use, we, we use the numbers provided by the FMA. So the FMA has provided a set of projected returns. 5.5% yeah. for growth aggressive. Yeah, that, that all KiwiSaver providers now have to use on their calculators. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we use a similar number too. Good, that. yeah, because you're like, oh, so, you know, last year we did 60%, so, you know, you're going to have $10 million in retirement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we make sure that we don't do that. Do you, do you have a means of protecting them? So, like, you do your annual review. They, their preferences don't necessarily change. I think a 26-year-old or anyone less than 26 is probably changing their mind every five seconds and questioning their whole reality, maybe. That maybe was, that was just me. <laughs> I don't know. But, like, do you... So, they do the annual review. Their preferences maybe don't change. Yeah. Um, do you t- tell them, like, hey, like, let's say you did your annual review in March of when COVID came out, the KiwiSave attack by 20 30%. Yeah. And you're saying your preferences have changed. Here's this provider. Is there a means that you mitigate against them churning too much? Education. Yeah. So but in we, that moment, do you educate or is it no. you educate in the lead up? So you cannot educate in the uh, moment. Mm. You have to preempt these things. Okay. So what we're really kind of like in, in, in all our communications with our clients and prospects, we're really educating them about volatility. We're really telling them that volatility is not something special. It's part and parcel of an investment. So you should be ready for the coming market downturn. That doesn't mean you should go all in all in cash and wait for, for, for it. Mm-hmm. No, you, sh- you should expect it and you should be prepared to ride it out. And we do a lot of that. We don't wait for the 30% market drop to let our clients know that that's what they should do we prepare them in advance and what we've seen is that in in the couple of market drops that have happened we've had like most of our clients actually have come to us and said hey can we move to a higher volatility fund a fund with higher growth assets now that the market has 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 fallen and i believe that's because of the education that we are Mm. giving them well, I mean, that that's confident, you know what I mean? Like, because the challenge is you've got a balanced portfolio and let's say, and they're increasing it to more aggressive and, you know, there's a 20% drop in their balance. So they're selling that, crystallizing that, buying growth assets at a cheaper price. But really the more important distinction was that they're trying to achieve the objective as opposed to try and time the market. True, true. So that, that but that's, that's good that they're... Um, they're not fearful, which is probably the hardest thing to teach. Yeah. So this is a silver lining. How do you how do you keep people engaged in education then? Like how do you like what is the education? Is it the blog and then they go there? Is it a newsletter? Like what, how do you keep them caring? 
Yeah. So what what we're doing right now is sending out at least like a monthly email to our clients, mostly just with a short two minute video. Okay. It's just gonna like, it's just gonna making sure that we don't overwhelm them with content and oh here's fifteen blogs that will take you half an hour to read. Those people are b- b- busy, mm. and unlike you and me. Ryan, I don't think everyone is obsessed with Kiwi Saver and investments and money markets. Yeah. So what we try yes. to do is just give them is we try to work really hard so that we can distill what we could say in half an hour in a few minutes, but still give the client the same level of education and knowledge that they would get in in 30 minutes okay fair all right well now now the call to action part of the marketing part they've heard you they hate your guts so they love you and think this is amazing what is something of value that they could do immediately like a place they could go to get their kiwi server checked out or whether i think you talked about an ebook like what should they do so we've got uh we've got what we call a kiwi saver health check on our website and that definitely is the first step towards sorting out your KiwiSafe account. It's a form that would take you no more than 10 to 15 minutes to fill. But you go in there, you fill up that form, you give us the information that we need as financial advisors in order to give you a recommendation. So you fill up that form, it's absolutely free. It doesn't cost you anything. That information comes back to us. Then we create your recommendations. We together set up an appointment for you to speak to one of our advisors. We send you those recommendations, which are just, it's it's a web page, an interactive web page, so you can know as little or, uh, or as much as you want. And those recommendations explain to you exactly what we believe you should do and why. Mm. And then you've got the the ability to kind of have a quick 15-minute chat with an advisor. All right, let's ask not them oversell. Any questions let's not oversell. And you. go on. Yeah. <laughs> you, you had a great offering and then you decided, fuck it. It was perfect. It le- right. So nationalcapital.co.nz? Yeah. Yeah, go there and then there's a Kiwi, there's a Kiwi the Saver health check. check. We'll yeah. lead to an advisor. It's pretty choice. Check it out. Yeah. All right, thanks for coming, mate. Cheers. <laughs>